Hello and welcome to this podcast for the City of London Churches for Black History Month. My name is Laurie Jurgensen and I'm the Rector of St Botolph without Oldgate. Later in this episode we'll be hearing from Arani Sen, Rector of St Olive's Heart Street, about Samuel Crowther, who was baptised in the City of London. But first we travel to Oldgate to think about somebody else who was baptised in the city. Although Oldgate has been in the news over the summer with the revelation that the founder of the local school, John Cass, and the 300-year-old charity that bears his name, had gained the majority of his wealth from the slave trade, I'd like to take you further back to Oldgate of the Tudor and Stuart period, where the city was a bustling place of trade. Oldgate is a liminal place at the threshold of the City of London and the East End. It's always been a place of movement and change, of comings and goings. It was one of the most populous places, a really mixed area. My parish, St Botolph's Oldgate, was larger then. Now the parish boundaries take in Houndsditch to the north, down to Tower Gateway in the south. But previously it took in East Smithfield, all the way down to the eastern side of the Tower of London, right down to the River Thames. This meant that the parishes had warehouses and other maritime trades, food provisioning, manufacturing and cloth making, slaughterhouses and butcher's shops. And because of its position at the gate, also had a number of inns for travellers. There were other industries which started up in the area in the 16th century too, gun making, brewing and silk manufacturing. St Botos has very full records of this period. On the 29th of September 1538, Thomas Cromwell issued an order that all priests, parsons or vicars should keep records of baptisms, marriages and burials. The parish clerks of St Botolph's obviously took this very seriously because the parish clerks memorandum books are full and vivid records of life in London and have been studied widely to gain insight into this fascinating period of London history. It's clear from the records that Oldgate was not a monochrome parish. Historians Onyeka Nubia, Miranda Kaufman, David Olusoga and Michael Wood, amongst others, have published or spoken about the African men and women who lived in the parish. Although there's not quite the evidence needed, Onyeka points to Oldgate as having the largest number of people of African descent in England about 6% of the total population, or 1 in 15. And he says that the appearance of African men and women in the registers point to the possibility that they did indeed constitute a community, rather than their appearance being a statistical anomaly, as has been argued in the past. In the registers, a number of African men and women appear amongst those who have been buried in the parish, Having been some having been given expensive or high-status funerals with funeral bearers, demonstrating in what esteem their employers, neighbours and fellow workers held them. These names include Christopher Capavert, Domingo, Susanna Peavis, Simon Valencia, Casango, Isabel Peters, Francis, servant to a beer brewer, who had the best cloth and four bearers for his funeral. There's Anna Vaus, wife to Anthony Vaus, a trumpeter, and the brilliantly named John Cumquick, servant to a captain. 
and sadly, Marie, a woman that died in the street. A standout entry in the registers is Mary Phyllis. She has the longest entry for any commoner in that memorandum daybook. So something about her captured the attention of Thomas Harridance, the parish clerk at the time. I heartily recommend Miranda Kaufman's book, Black Tudors, if you'd like to explore this further, where Mary Phyllis has an entire chapter to herself, which was certainly very helpful for this podcast. Mary Phyllis is noted as a Morisco. She was born in Morocco in 1577 to Phyllis of Morisco, her father, a shovel and basket maker. Indeed, the name Phyllis may come from her family trade. A Phyllis is a loosely twisted piece of string. There was civil war in Morocco and Mary found herself at the age of about five or six in England. She was a servant in the house of John Barker in Mark Lane in the parish of St Olive's Hart Street. Mark Lane is thought to be a contraction of Market Lane. As well as his trade, Barker was also MP for Ipswich in the late 16th century. Mary grew up working within his opulent house, alongside African servants Laying Muea and George. In 1588, Barker died, and Mary carried on working for his widow for a few years until 1597, where Mary moved to East Smithfield to work for a Millicent Porter, a seamstress. There's nothing written down about, where, about why Mary might make this move, but perhaps it means that she was then, age 20, able to choose her employer and wanted to move so that she could learn a trade. And it is at this point that Mary comes to St Bottles for her baptism. Why now? A possible reason, Miranda Kaufman suggests, is that in 1584, Millicent Porter is recorded as one that liveth suspiciously, and that her, she had done public penance at St Paul's. Did she now have the zeal of a reformed character and therefore tried to uh, make sure that her servant was also living a Christian life? Or was she trying to throw people off the scent? Who knows? The entry for Mary's baptism in the registers reads, this Mary Phyllis, being about the age of 20 years and having been in England for the space of 13 or 14 years and as yet was not Christian, christened and now being become servant with one Millicent Porter, a seamster dwelling in the liberty of East Smithfield and now taking some hold of faith in Jesus Christ was desirous to become a Christian. Wherefore she made suit by her said mistress to have some conference with the curate of this parish of St Buttolph's without Oldgate, London. The wonderful spelling here, Buttolph is usually B-O-T-O-L-P-H-S. But here in the register, B-U-T-T-O-L-P-H-E-E-S, St Buttolph's. So the registers continue. So that I do say that the said Mary Phyllis, at this time dwelling in with Millicent Porter, a seamster of the Liberty of East Smithfield, was christened on Friday, being the 3rd of June, 
in the presence of the undernamed and diverse others, viz. William Benton, Marjorie Barrick, Millicent Porter, Mistress Magdalene Threlkeld, Matthew Pearson, Mistress Young, Gertrude Ponder, Thomas Harridance being the parish clerk, Thomas Ponder being the sexton, and diverse others. Magdalene Threlkeld is presumably the wife of the then curate of St Botolph's, Christopher Threlkeld, who had been admonished by the Bishop of London to catechise, to teach the Christian faith to children, apprentices and servants. So clearly he took that seriously. Mary had to learn and answer questions on faith and say the Lord's Prayer. So why did Mary get baptised at this point? The registers refer to her lively faith, but there were many reasons people got baptised. It would strengthen relationships with friends and neighbours, and particularly for those who stood in as godparents. People who were baptised could get married, and it meant that their status in society was firmer. Sadly, we don't know what happened to Mary after her baptism. Two Marys are recorded in the burial register of the parish, but one without a surname and one a Mary Peters. Did Mary marry someone with a surname Peters? We're unlikely to be able to find out. In a way, I hope neither of those Marys in the registers are Mary Phyllis, because both die in poverty and are recorded with a single line in the registers. Mary Phyllis was clearly adaptable, had agency and made a life for herself and at the moment of her baptism was surrounded by friends and supporters, a woman now, a seamstress, a person with a trade, living in a part of London which had grown and thrived on movement, change, on diversity and which embraced difference. We're going to move on a few centuries now and hear from Arani Sen about Samuel Crowther. This is Black History Month and I'd like to tell you about Samuel Crowther. Samuel Crowther was the first black African uh, bishop in Africa, in Nigeria. He was born at the beginning of the 19th century in um, Western Nigeria. But however, when he was about 13, he was captured and taken slave um, and then sold several times before he was purchased by Portuguese traders for the trans transatlantic slave market. This is one of the horrors of 19th century life for people in, in much of Africa. The experience of slavery was critical for him. He never forgets that, his biographer says, Robert Walls. His picture of his village burning, his picture of what it was to be torn away from his family, to see his father for the last time as he rushes in to tell them to flee, of the eventual separation from his mother and sister. Fortunately for him, a godsend, his ship was intercepted by the British Navy's anti-slave uh, trade patrol and the slaves were liberated in Sierra Leone. In Sierra Leone, he became a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, and he was baptised. Um, he took his name from the eminent vicar in the city of London, Samuel Crowther. 
the vicar, um, who was a vicar in the city of London, uh, Christ Church, Newgate Street, uh, a church that is now ruined since the Blitz. He was very much influenced by the Christian Mission, Missionary Society, the CMS, and he took his name from this vicar in the city. He was very enthused by his Christian faith and keen to study theology and very much mentored by them. He came to London and then studied at St Mary's School in Islington and with CMS in their college. And then he was ordained by the Bishop of London in 1843, probably in the city in St Paul's Cathedral. This is wonderful that he was allowed as a person of colour in such repressive colonial times to be seen as a leader in the Church of God. He served at St Mary's, then returned to Nigeria. And he was involved in very innovative mission to the Yoruba people. And miraculously, he was reunited with his mother and sister, the first people he baptised in Africa. And he, he's well known now because he oversaw the translation of the Bible into the Yoruba language. In 1864, he was consecrated bishop, the first black bishop, and an example to the church then and a church today. Thank you for listening to this podcast. The City Churches are open and look forward to seeing you, to discover more of their history, but also we're places of prayer and worship with a strong commitment to our local communities.